Polycast, episode 40. This week, I'm running solo as my partner in crime, Ian Holmes, had other obligations. It's a bit of a makeup episode as technical difficulties rendered our attempted recording a couple weeks ago unusable. That said, we have back with a special guest, Sam Albert of the Dirtfish Rally team. We discuss the Ojibwe Forest Rally and how in a scary moment his brake pedal became the gas pedal, and the challenges from the high altitude, tight and twisty, hot and dry Idaho Rally International. This is Open Paddock, the Rallycast. Hello, and as I said in the intro for this Open Paddock Rally Cast, we have with us special guest Sam Albert of the Dirtfish Rally Team, and we're going to go over a little bit of Ojibwe, and then of course the most recent event, Rally Idaho. Sam Albert, welcome back to the show. How are you doing this evening? Not too bad, Mike. Glad to uh, be back on the show. Always looking forward to having these conversations. So we're going to start with Ojibwe. I know it was a little bit ago, uh, a little bit of a gap that we've had. You know, I, I have to say that of the events I've traveled to, roads wise that's got to be one of my favorites yeah i agree it's uh it's got some of the most i don't know they're not technical they're not fast they're somewhere in between they're just a lot of fun to drive on and um you know when they're dry they're they're extra quick when they're wet they're extra slick so it it prevents uh, presents a unique challenge depending on uh, how the weather comes at it which seems to change year by year, usually get some sort of precipitation. This year wasn't so bad, actually helped for the most part, but, uh, you know, a couple of the stages weren't so nice. Well, I'm. <laughs> let's talk about just how it started to begin with, right? Uh, we had like an overnight rain before that one started, and they had a little super special that they uh, created, right, little fairgrounds there. Kind of simple, just kind of went around. It looks like it's normally just like a, I think it's just a horse track, right? And. Okay. You know, they had this little jump that they made, which uh, normally would have been fine. Although, don't take it in a uh, rental truck, which um, Matt Kalish uh, <laughs> ended up finding out because um, <clears throat> he, he went a little too fast. And, uh, well, he didn't break the truck, thankfully, but uh, many things went flying, let's say. <laughs> well, I mean, what else are you supposed to do with the rental truck? Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, anyways, uh, you know, short little uh, stage there. Shouldn't have been anything, but we got that downpour of rain the night before. It really wasn't raining when you guys were leaving uh, for that first stage, but nobody really went out on track to see what the surface was like versus it was bone dry for a long time uh, when you guys actually did recce, right? Yeah, it was it was perfectly dry when we recced it. So first car, first turn, Travis Pastrana. <laughs> yep. Yeah, he uh, he pulled a good one on that. Uh, honestly, I think that's got to be the shortest <laughs> rally <laughs> somebody's ever had. Uh, literally first in, first out, you know. Yep. Um, programming people will like that term. But yeah, it, it just, he he slid on that, it just became muck. It's uh, it, it was like a clay-like soil that soaked up all of that water, and it was... God, it must have been three or four inches deep uh, right at the approach to that. But you wouldn't have seen it because not a lot of people had gone over it yet. Right. And so you didn't see, like, a big trench in there or anything like that. So he just goes like he normally would, turned the car. It didn't turn. And you guys didn't know that they put concrete barriers out there, did you? No, yeah. During recce, it, it was just kind of wide open, and there was a big gap on either side of the jump where it looked like, well, if he... You didn't hit the jump. You could just go right around it if uh, if you wanted to, but that definitely wasn't the case come race day. You know, and unfortunate. Uh, he smacked one of them, uh, and you know made the barrier turn, 
broke his left rear suspension. Uh, they made it to the end, but barely. Unfortunately, the parts parts on the car uh, not really repairable. And from there, you guys actually had to transit like forty miles to the other stages. So right. it was a pretty long commute that you're yeah you're not gonna be able to limp through. So what was that? first stage like for you because I'm, I'm sure a lot of people in line saw what happened to travis did you know that he had already gone off or no uh i didn't know that he had gone off at that point when we were getting lined up but you know when we were we're lining up and everybody's kind of moving in on their minute to uh to start it everybody's kind of jockeying for position to see if they could see through you know the the stands and and the walls and stuff that were lining the the track there so we were all trying to kind of get an idea but yeah didn't didn't see travis was a little because he was first car up there, didn't quite to see see what he was doing. I saw, uh, you know, like Seahorn and and Higgins go through it, and didn't seem to be, you know, bad from what I saw. So I was like, all right, well, we'll just go. Because really, what we were trying to figure out was like, how are we going to hit this jump? Is it going to be flat out? Is it are we going to check up before it? And so I think a lot of us were talking beforehand that we were just going to kind of check up, you know. A little bit on it just you know it's the first stage of the rally there's nothing to really be won there so if you lose a second or two just checking up for the jump it's more important to make sure that you make it through to that end of that stage so you can go you know do battle out in the actual stages but yeah once we finally started um it was so mucky that the power wasn't going down so it, there wasn't really a need to check up you just kind of drove, drove up to the jump and you know, I watched I watched Pastrana's onboard from that uh, that they had posted. And I think it just came out on on launch control too. And you can see both how Travis hit it and how Higgins hit it, and it looks like you know Travis just got on throttle and just stayed pinned going through that first corner where um, Higgins did a little turn to the outside before turning back in. I think that helped get him a little bit more sideways going through the first jump, which gave him the appropriate uh, run up to the jump. So you can see, like both of them have two very, very different lines uh, going over it, and you know that unfortunately, you know, he kind of misjudged what that barrier was and just kind of stayed committed to it and ultimately paid the price for that. But uh, yeah, once we finally got going, we got over that jump and we got to the first corner. I go to you know make that turn in, and <laughs> the car just didn't turn. I was, it's like, all right, we're along for the ride and. Michelle and I almost started laughing a little bit in the car, like, okay, well, so this is how it's going to be. And you guys weren't going that fast. It was like one of those almost like 20 miles an hour on ice kind of feelings, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it was just the car started going sideways. We're sliding, you know, gas, brake, didn't really do much of anything. So we just kind of waited it out until the car found traction again. And then once we, we finally got going again, it was, it was not too bad after that. It was just the first little stretch that was just all clay, mud, you know, nastiness and after that it was fine. Like the, the second corner and the or I guess the third corner it wasn't too too bad. And after that you go into that big loop that circled around to the finish and that was fairly clean. So it got it got better as you went through it. I th I think you uh what was the description you said? Toothpaste? Yeah, a lot of the <laughs> a lot of the stages, at least in the beginning while it was still pretty well soaked, turned into uh this toothpaste like consistency where you just don't really have a whole lot of traction. You're kinda my my method for going through stuff like that is kind of start your turn in really early while you still have grip, and then once you're in the corner, because for whatever reason, just how roads are made, corners are where moisture tends to collect, so that's where the least amount of grip generally is going to be. So if you set your turn in early, you hit that toothpaste or whatever it is sideways, at least by the time you're through the corner, you're pointing it in the right direction, you can get back on gas and continue on your way. 
So you go out from there, you're heading out to, again, really long uh, stretch of, uh, of a transit. Then you get out to the stages that are out there in the, I guess it would be more the, uh, the northeast part um, uh, of the state or where where that area. Um, right. And a little bit farther away from, from the Saturday stages. And that's where we get to the famed jump that we have at Crossroads. Right. Uh, you know some of those stages pretty well because you've raced out there a, a couple of times now. Um, again, it was a little bit wet, but like you said, it brought some of the no dust issues or anything like that. A little bit slippery. Uh, you were doing okay. We saw you go past on the jump, but then something happened. Yeah, that was uh, that was an unfortunate early thought to be the end of our rally. Luckily, we were able to super rally. But yeah, we were we we're going along on crossroads, and we were just getting to the the last little tricky bit of that stage, which actually was a lot of fun. It's, it gets, you know, where the jump is and all that is, it's sort of open, you know, there's just lots of, lots of fours and fives and things like that. And then it starts getting a little bit tighter and you got, you know, get down to your threes and fours. And so it's just, it gets fun. You get to toss the car around a little bit more. And, uh, unfortunately we were going through this good little section and coming up as a little straight, uh, coming up to this little hill and I go to, to brake for the next turn and the pedal just goes to the floor and I realize that we've lost our brakes. And uh, as we're coming up that hill, I'm trying everything. I'm you know pumping the brakes, grab the handbrake. The handbrake just goes all the way back. So find out that it's the, the rear brakes that have gone. Oh, no. And normally that's not such a big deal. You can, you know, we you normally engineer the the brakes to have two separate circuits which we have on our car but in this strange set of circumstances the way that our bias adjuster was set up uh, made it such that when you fully depress the the brake pedal and it went all the way down the cable interfered with the throttle pedal and so it actually pushed the throttle as we were going over that crest and the notes i can't remember exactly what the turn is like a three right over crest don't go wide and uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to uh, abide by the don't go wide rule when I was on the gas <laughs> going over this crest. And it just sent us right over the other side, go into the, the side of the road, take out a bunch of trees. And for a moment there, I almost thought we were going to be able to pull it off because we were, we were riding through the trees. I was on gas because I was on the brakes, which is just odd. But uh, we end up hitting this big mound, and then that ends up rolling us, and we end up on our roof, and we're just barely off the side of the road, but fully upside down. And there's once we uh, got out of the car, we assessed the damage, and the, there was you know broken control arms and things like that. So the the car, even if we were able to find a way to roll it back over and get on the road, there was there was no way that thing was going to be driving driving off in its current or in its state at that time. So unfortunately, that was the end to day one for us. Um, and we were able to get our uh, our crew out there to you know get us a tug. The uh, the sweep crew came through and did a fantastic job of getting the car upright and getting it right along the side of the road, which made it really easy for us to uh, just hook up some uh, come-alongs and whatnot to uh, pull it into the trailer. And luckily for us, it was uh, there was going to be a good little gap because they were going to repeat crossroads for the night running of it. Uh, so there's a good gap in the in the window there that we were able to get the truck and trailer in there and get the car off. And once we did that, got it back to service. Everybody went to town, came up with a good game plan, and and got everything fixed. And our goal was to restart uh, on Saturday, which luckily we were able to do. I, I must say, first of all, hats off to th those good sweep crews. Um, 
you know, I know we've got a pretty good crew out here in the Northwest. Um, those guys, let me tell you, they just constantly think geometry to get the car, you know, rolled over or back, you know, in a way that it can get out safely, um, but not cause any more damage to the vehicle, right? Yeah, and, they did a fantastic job. And, and that's just huge. Um, a lot of people, I think, that don't follow Riley close enough don't understand just how important that skill is, you know, because getting cars out from these, uh, you know, obstacle-laden places you can do more damage maybe than the incident itself if it's not done right. And oh, absolutely. It, it's amazing what these guys do. They got a lot of experience. And uh, so here, here to the sweeps. Uh, uh, one thing I forgot to mention earlier is um, your teammate actually didn't do much better than Travis Pastrana. <laughs> no, unfortunately uh, he didn't. And that was actually a, a really unfortunate circumstance for him because instead of coming in and just kind of sideswiping the barrier how Travis did it when, uh, or when Pastrana did it, uh, when Pastrana hit the car, it twisted that concrete barrier out. So now instead of, you know, hitting that broadside, when, uh, when Travis niece came to it, it was pointed right at him. So he just center punched the middle of his car right on the, on, on the, the corner of it, on the corner of it. Yep. Yeah. Jeez. Crunched in his crash bar radiator. And, and that definitely did him in as well for, for that rally. But, um, as you know, we got him back into the service too, and everybody was working on his car. They're working on on my car, and luckily, both of us were able to get started. You know, the next day, and it was a, a bit of a late night, but you know, not too too bad by rally standards. You know, by the time all the cars were were running, and we got the the okay from you know from the officials that the cars looked good to uh, to rally again and were stage worthy. So and you yeah, guys was... were all hands on deck. I mean, everybody was doing something. This is one thing that, that I also want to mention. Just, I mean, the Dirtfish crew, um, but you out there as well. I saw you out there with a the grinder, um, cutting away at stuff. Um, you know, everybody's pitching in wherever they can to help get these cars running. Um, I don't know if any of the other crews ended up helping you guys out a, a bit. I know that there was a part, a new radiator had to come from a long ways away for uh, Nice. Is that right? Right. Yeah. One uh, another rallyist who was. Uh you know, just watching from, you know, Facebook or whatever, saw that Travis was in need for a radiator and uh, he hopped in the car with his girlfriend and drove all night. And uh, I remember he showed up to our, our Airbnb, knocked on the door at like two in the morning. I was like, what is going on here? Who's this? Open the door and he's standing there with a radiator and, his <laughs> and we're like, all right, <laughs> come on in. <laughs> so that was, that was pretty cool to see. That is awesome. You know, it's always nice to have the community, you know, pitch in and, and help, you know, keep the rally moving and keep everybody in the game. So, you know, you really have to really assess, reassess things, you know, when, you, when you're when you doing Super Rally, which thankfully this year they have. They didn't have that last year. Some people dislike Super Rally. I'm a fan of it because I know that it, even if you're not getting, you know, you're not going to necessarily get way up there in the points or whatever. I think there needs to be sufficient penalty to come back. We don't want to have someone that, you know, ends up super rallying and then all of a sudden they're you know finished still in the in the lead <laughs> you know or right. something like that but you know i like the fact that especially with more of the privateers and whatnot you guys get stage miles right i mean seat time is everything and there's only so many opportunities it's not like we have 20 races a year you know right we, we've got seven in the championship and i really like seeing you guys out there it's good for the fans good for the sponsors um it's kind of good for everybody if you can get out there but uh, what's your opinion of uh, Super Rally, and how do you have to reassess yourself when you go back into that next day? Yeah, so I, I'm a fan of Super Rally for sure, kind of 
for the sim- similar reasons that you said, just being able to get back out there, get more seat time and all that stuff. And I do think it's necessary to have a pretty severe penalty, uh, in which I think the current rule set is you know pretty well spot on. And I think that's pretty... I'm not sure if it's standard across the board with other sanctioning bodies, but it's I know it's pretty close. And you know I can't remember off the top of my head what our penalties ended up being for missing. I think three stages in the end, three or four stages. But you know it was something like a 30-minute penalty. Wow. And that's a lot. You know that's that's a lot of time that you have to uh, that you have to make up. And that's yeah, it's it's kind of how it should be. And. You know, when we we started back up on uh, on Saturday, I don't think we quite thought that we were going to be able to do as well as we did. We were just going to kind of take advantage of the seat time and you know keep working on learning how to drive the car faster and and do what we need to do. But you know, it's still in the back of your mind that okay, well, we we kind of lost one of our our nine lives, you know, yesterday. So let's make sure that we we get a finish in and. And at that point, our game plan was just let's make sure that we finish so that we can get some points for both the class and the and the overall championship. And then as the day was kind of going by, we were seeing that we were you know still picking up time, and we started having a battle. Uh, I think with uh, Tim O'Neill, um, and we're like, well, if we keep on pushing a little bit more, it looks like we might be able to to surpass him. And ultimately, that's what we did, and that got us to the. Uh, the third overall, or not third overall, but third in the class finish for the for the event, and you know that I think that was a fantastic place to be, considering you got Jeff on the top step, and then you got you know the return of uh, of Nick Roberts coming out in the class, and so it was always good racing against him and having him back there. But it yeah, it was really good to see him out there. Um, it's been far too long uh, for someone that was you know competing you know for a championship for for multiple years. Um, I hope we see more of him. I hope so too. Fantastic driver and, and good per- good people, you know. So always good having having him out in the mix. So you were able to make it all the way back to the podium. Um, obviously a, a pretty good result after what was a trying thing. Um, obviously you don't wish anybody else to have any issues out there. I, I was going to say one of the other significant things that we had out at uh, Ojibwe before we kind of move on to talk about Idaho was um, we had uh, a WRC driver out there. Brian Bouffier did his second event um, in North America with uh, driving the green APU car for Art Grushka, that little Mitsubishi Mirage. Um, I was hoping it was going to be a little bit more on pace versus the Subarus, but you know it's still effectively a privateer car, right? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a privateer car, even though it's very well built and it's a very quick car. Um, you know, it's even if they were to be given equal cars, I think you know David and you know they were also battling with Travis on Saturday for for stage wins, and you know I think that institutional knowledge that just they have of these roads is is really difficult to overcome. You know, you when they've raced on that. I mean, they, on all the stages were the same, but sections of them were just the general flow and and knowing that surface plays huge into your confidence and how hard you can push and charge on those stages. And I think for a newcomer to come in and try to be on pace with them is is going to be a very very difficult battle. On that Saturday is when uh, Matt and I got to go out to I think it was stage nine, and we did a live stream from that one, and uh, probably one of the better uh, live streams we've got to do for this year because I thought it was a really good corner. Um, it, as it, it was like kind of a double apex, and it kind of went downhill, and it had this crown, and you know, around at, at an intersection, and 
you could see when you somebody that got it right very you know right away and those that got it wrong they went way wrong they were sliding all the way over by where we were um over by the banner tape because just that crown was so big but one thing i also noticed is that soil there is so different that's one thing i love about rallying in the u.s is yeah we've got this huge country and it's hard to travel from place to place but boy does it make for some very different conditions because i kept seeing as cars went by this soil starting to rut up and it's getting sandy it's starting right. to like bog down and uh, get um, pretty thick, you know, loose sand kind of in spots, even though it was damp from the rain from the day before. Uh, made for drivers having to take a different approach, I think, going up to it. Uh, what was that like for you, um, I guess, having to deal with those ch- constantly changing stages with it? It seemed like to me most of the slow corners are really starting to dig out. Right. Yeah. So, you know, one, one thing that you do, cause that, that's pretty characteristic of the entire rally is that you got a lot of that sand. And so it, it takes away a little bit of that bite that you get when you get on the brakes and you come into your corner. So, uh, a little bit of car setup to help with that. You know, one thing that we did is, is raise up the rear of the car so that we could throw a little bit more weight in, uh, because you essentially you're on the brakes for longer and softer when you come into turns like that. Oh, okay. Instead of pushing, you know, like how you would do on something really, you know, firm and kind of like Olympus type roads where you can come in super late, get on that brake, get the weight transfer, get the rotation done, then get right back on gas and continue on your way. Almost tarmac style, just a little bit of slide in there. Yeah, I mean, just really aggressive. Whereas the Ojibwe roads, you have to kind of treat with a little bit more caution. So, yeah, you're braking a little bit softer so that you don't, you know, Something that we teach at Dirt Fish is is the 100% traction rule that, you know, your tires can only do 100%. Uh, and if you are braking at 100% and you go to turn and you have nothing left to turn with, well, uh, you're not going to turn. So uh, you kind of have to share that traction with braking and, and trying to turn in a little bit. So, you know, that's kind of leads you to your classic trail brake. But with the the surface being less grippy than other roads you have to take that with a little bit more caution kind of like how you do with you know conditions when they start getting damp in other places you just have to come in a little bit softer on the brakes and just make sure that you're managing the, the grip especially on the front end of the car well like i said ojibwe great rally um i love the roads to me it's probably the the closest to me it's, it's kind of like you get uh some of the speed that you would get like at new england and some of the flow mixed with the trees being real close like stpr yep i'd agree with that that's a it's a pretty unique rally and it's also one of my favorites as well some some of the best roads in the country yeah so uh, so those of you folks on the west coast geez you guys uh, that listen to the show get out there <laughs> it's worth the travel it's worth the trip just to do those stages at least once because uh, just recce alone was just fun i'm just like going along and just like wow, at speed, this would be so cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, some of the best stuff there, just kind of constant crests and dips and, and yeah, just just fun-looking roads. So uh, rather jealous. Uh, I, I would definitely like to try those someday. Um, all right, so Ojibwe, you still end up on the podium, still in contention for the championship. Um, anything can happen, especially the way the drops work with the East Coast and West Coast stuff. And so then we head over to uh, Idaho. Idaho Rally, brand new as a championship event, uh, national championship. Um, very different roads for most everybody. Now, have you competed in Idaho before? Yeah, I did it once in 2015. Okay, so you did it in 2015. I think uh, I think Jeff did it 
then as well or something yep, like that. Yeah, so as well. both of you guys are out there. Okay. Um, but for the majority of competitors, other than some regionals that have been out there, um, very new roads, very different. Um, now, it's it kind of a, some were saying is it, it was a good joke to everybody because uh, most people that reviewed online footage and whatnot was probably from that era from 2015 or, or from 2016 even. 2016 even. Um, roads were a little bit different this time. Yes, they were. Um, you know, one one of the classics has returned uh, returned for this year, Harris Creek, both uh, in both directions, which is I don't know if it's my favorite stage in all of North America, but it's definitely up there in the top five, just with how fast and flowing that road is, and it, it kind of starts getting a little bit more technical as you get closer to to the hills, and it starts to climb up a little bit. But yeah, it's just it's so fun, so fast, and I don't know what it is about it. I think it's just because it's a little extra wide so that you know that you can really just hammer down going through a lot of those corners and, and know that it'll be pretty safe. Just makes it a little bit more fun to have that sort of freedom on a stage that you don't really find in most other stages, uh, at least in the U.S. So being able to do that stage is super fun. But uh, the other ones kind of changed up. You still had Grimes Pass, which had a little bit of a variation this year. Uh, had a little extra techie bit added to it uh, but it still finished out on, on a nice fast section of road that was fun but then everything else um i hadn't seen before most others hadn't seen before unless they had been there last year like uh with i think it's meadow creek uh mm-hmm. super crazy technical stage that uh is difficult in these newer cars you know all these yeah. cars get get a little bit bigger the longer wheelbase and and sort of wide and it's just a lot to move around and i was uh I was getting a little bit of a, a arm workout going through there. Just <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so yeah. So I got to recce uh, a couple of stages as well. And again, another unique area. I've never been to this event, even though it's one I've been told to go visit uh, for many years. Just it never worked out schedule wise for me. So um, it used to run, I think, in June when it was a, a regional event or something like that. So usually right. conflicted with other stuff. But uh, very hot, very dry. Um, very high altitude. We're, we were, what, like probably 4,500 feet out there? Yeah, I think uh, all the stages were in the four and 5,000. So that actually played a little bit into uh, the competition as well because you lose, you know, a good bit of power as you start heading up. And these cars, they just, you know, especially, well, really all the cars are going to be somewhat suffocated from the, the lack of air up there. So uh, both drops the power level and you know reduces the ability to cool too and you'll have less dense air you don't have as you know as much air density blown through those radiators and and cooling the thing the engine down so overheating was a a problem i I heard for a lot of people including us plus you throw in temperature i mean it was was cool in the morning actually downright cold at times uh but when it gets you know upwards of 80 degrees at that altitude um you know me from my flying background 95 degrees ish is about equal to 3000 feet of altitude from an air density standpoint. If you've got 80 degrees and you're at 4,500 feet, you know, your air is even that much thinner, right? right? So that you're right. The, the, the cooling factor is definitely a huge issue out there. Um, again, just super dry. Gosh, we were just drinking gallons of water out there trying to stay hydrated. Um, and of course this is a pine forest out here. So we're out in these high mountains it's all like ponderosa pine, so it's not super dense trees, but uh, it is definitely a, a full-blown forest. 
and very mountainous. Uh, you were talking about Harris Creek there. Um, I, I got to recce on Spanish Fork, one of the really tight technical stages, and it's just switchback after switchback. There's so many hairpins going down deep into a ravine, then climbing back up out, and it, it, it is some serious technical stuff, but at the same time, I thought it was one of the greatest things to have in the championship because it was just so different than anything else. On the one hand, I understand wanting to have that smooth flow, but having something technical that everybody has to really think about every corner, right. I don't know, to me, I thought was really cool from a fan standpoint. Granted, I can understand the frustration as a driver that's got to be pretty hard because you're trying to get a rhythm to be consistent, right? Yeah, you know, and I don't want to, you know, sound like I'm I'm going to complain about the stages, but some of them were great. Like Grimes, even the, the Techie Bits, um, Meadow really wasn't as bad as, you know, a lot of people made me think it was. I think Spanish Fork was probably the worst in terms of how the road got kind of beat up, and, you know, throughout the rally. And, as, you know, it's a repeat stage. So when we came through one of the times, and it's just so technical and it got so deep that, like, the car was just struggling to get through it. You know, it's it wasn't it, to me. It didn't really feel like I was racing the car. It was just more like I got to get this thing to the end of the stage. Yeah, I can I can definitely understand that. Uh, another thing before we we start getting into kind of how how things went throughout the weekend is uh, a pretty good turnout. Um, again, first time being a national championship, so we had like I think forty three vehicles starting, and I say vehicles because. This is the first time the American Rally Association had side-by-sides as part of the championship. We had Brendan Semenuk with uh, uh, John Hall uh, coming down from Canada that competed. We had a couple other guys, I think somebody from uh, California and some some regional guys in the in the area that uh, I unfortunately wasn't familiar with their names. But we had about uh, four, I think, different four or five different side-by-sides out there. Uh, what do you think about having uh, side-by-sides as part of this rally championship? Uh, I think it's pretty cool. I think... You know, side by sides caters to a larger market than you know rally cars do in the U.S. So bringing that attraction in for you know people, there's you know tons of people that have razors and you know Mavericks and stuff like that in the states, especially in, in the Western U.S. So it's I think it's really great to to add them on. You know, Michelle and I were even talking. You know, should we start thinking about maybe moving to a side by side or something like that in the future, or you know, like where is it going to go long term and I just think their popularity, you know, caters to a broader market. So how we can integrate them into, you know, the championship is, I think it's, I think it's a great direction to go. And I think it, it needs some refinement, uh, just like anything new, but it's, mm-hmm. it's really cool to see them out. And I'm, I'm curious to see how they'll, they'll do at Tour de Forest coming up here. Uh, it's logistically challenging, you know, with not all states being, you know, friendly to side-by-sides and letting them transit on the roads and stuff like that. So that could be, you know, a challenge further on down the road, especially right. the, the more Eastern events. But and, and Oregon's the same way. Um, we don't have the ability to have them transit on the public roads out here. So, yeah, it, it's, it's a challenge. But as they become more popular, maybe we'll see more pressure of counties being able to have different rules than maybe what the state has, you know, to allow that kind of stuff. But as it sits currently, um, Oregon Trail... We've, we were going to try it maybe earlier this year, but the challenge was figuring out how we would be able to do some of those trends. Like, okay, can we make them do at least part of the rally and you'd uh, trailer them to the start and maybe you could do a short loop of stuff in an area that, you know, where the roads are mostly closed as long as they don't get on the highway or something like that and trying to coordinate and find a way to do that. 
We just didn't have the loops of stages in a way that made that worthwhile just yet. So uh, we might be able to do something, but we'd have to be very creative in how you do it, and there'd have to be some trailering involved. So a little bit of complexity to throw in there. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, I think that's the, the number one problem with having them out there is just getting them to the stages. Well, it's interesting also to see the uh, Brendan uh, with his um, side-by-side, he put rally tires and rally wheels on his. Yeah, I I noticed that too, and I think that's actually becoming a little bit more of a trend. I I saw David Sturks race out in Gorman and won the event, and he was on rally tires as well. So it seems to be working out pretty well for him. Uh, I I don't have any experience on a a side-by-side with rally tires, um, so I I don't know personally how they perform. But, uh, you know, he won the event out in Gorman, and and Semenuk did great at Idaho, so I'm assuming that it works pretty well. Yeah, it seemed to. Uh, I mean, uh, I did get a chance to talk to Brandon for for a little bit, and uh, he said that uh, you know it just it was a predictable amount of grip with those tires, like he's familiar with with the car. I mean, the car, the vehicle is obviously different, but he could have trust in the tires in the same way that he was used to. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I imagine that might be the same reason that David did it uh, in Gorman, just that you know they both came. Two side-by-sides as rally drivers first, uh, so just kind of eliminating one of the variables and just trusting that those tires are going to do what you expect them to do uh, probably plays a, a big part in just having the confidence to go out there and, and you know go fast from the get-go. Well, one thing I will say is uh, for Idaho, I was sorely missing Barry McKenna and uh, Leon Jordan being out there because I think that would have been an event they had a really good shot at probably winning. Yeah, I I think those roads definitely would have lent to that little fiesta. Um, Being able to get that thing just flicking around through those stages, I think he would have had a really good shot of getting the overall for for Idaho, for sure. Yeah. Ah, Well, hopefully we see him back uh, in in the States again uh, racing. I know he's still going for that uh, championship there in uh, Ireland, but uh, anyways... Uh, the other thing I was going to say about these roads is um, dusty. Uh, the type of dust, specifically. I noticed in some of the hairpins, it was like this really light, silty dust. Um, the only thing I, I could think of comparing it to as it... And this is just from rec- people going by on recce, it getting thicker and thicker, not even when they're racing. And it was almost like what they call fesh-fesh when you watch the Dakar. Uh-huh. That super silty, light uh, dust stuff. Um that's very different from any other rally that we have. I don't, I don't think that we get that super fine stuff anywhere else, do we? At least not all over the place like it is at Idaho. You know, that that sort of moon dust sort of exists. Moon dust. There we go. That's a good... There you go. That's a perfect analogy. It exists in sections, you know, uh, but it never, it never really becomes a factor. But at Idaho, it was just all over the place. So, yeah, like you said... It just would get up in the air and it would just float around. It's so light that it never really settles. It just keeps floating. And there was a serious lack of wind at, at Idaho, for, at least for that weekend. So it just it hung around and it didn't, didn't go anywhere. So that, so we go into the first day there. Um, obviously, we have this first loop is you get to do that uh, Harris Creek is the very first stage. All the cars uh, are running what? They were originally going to start at, what, uh, three-minute gaps for the first three, and then two-minute gaps then on? Correct. Right. And then they first noticed the dust right there on that stage, didn't they? 
Yeah, we were sitting at the the start line just watching the the first few cars go and just saw the dust was just building and building and building and like oh man this <laughs> this might not be so good. And sure enough, we get in there and we we take off and the first little bit's kind of okay and then it it the valley kind of gets a little bit deeper and we go around a corner and it's just walls of dust everywhere and it's kind of a bummer because that's one of those stages where you just want to go hard and go fast and you know it's a good opportunity being a, a little bit of a longer stage to uh you know kind of set the pace from the get-go and you know either work for a lead or try to you know build a little bit of gap for, to people behind you uh, and you just weren't able to do it on that stage he was just all right well, i'm not gonna you know go over this corner and not know where the the road is going to end up you like you know you go to turn in and the a lot of times you turn in early because you hear the note and you're like, okay, I got to turn in. You turn in, there's a wall. Oh, wait, nope, turn back out. All right, here it is. And so it's just your second guess. You're recorrecting constantly throughout the corner. Yeah, so it's it it loses a little bit of its fun, which is too bad because it's such a great stage. But uh, luckily, you know, they were paying attention to that and and changed up the the gaps for for everybody, which I don't think I had ever heard of a five minute gap for any event ever uh in north america and to to have a five minute gap for the first cars and i think we went to a four minute gap for everything behind that uh for the rest of the the first day i was just like wow but yeah we, that was pretty oh. crazy and, and now i'm gonna throw in because we were on uh the next stage which is grimes pass we were over at the uh spectator area and you know as a guy doing media <laughs> Normally, you know, I'm okay with a couple minutes between cars. You know, you start talking about things that are going on, uh, talk about the rally itself. It's a little bit harder at the beginning of the rally because you don't have any stories of what happened beforehand, right? You can talk about the the roads that you experienced on Recce and, and kind of the championship and stuff like that. When you have five-minute gaps between cars... <laughs> And you you, you run out of things to talk about, man. (laughs) Yeah, I I heard that was a bit of a challenge, you know, not only from the the media perspective, but also for spectators as well. I I remember overhearing some people talking about how the gap was making them wonder if like the rally was still going. So they just kind of sit around and be like, oh, well. Maybe it's done. Maybe they stopped it or, you know, maybe there was an incident. And so it was like it was hard for people to judge if, you know, the race was still going. So, you know, they kind of lost a little bit of their interest just having to sit there and wait so much. Yeah, it it was definitely a little bit difficult from that standpoint. Um, This year was probably not the most spectator friendly for Idaho. I'll I'll definitely give them that. And and there were a bunch of people that came out. You know, I'll say hats off to the, you know, the uh, media blitz that they did um there was local tv station covering it there were people from local radio station i saw out at uh park expo that we had at the uh, subaru dealership out there um larry h miller i think it was um you know there was a pretty good media you know uh involvement for this rally Uh, so a lot of people came out and and were were excited to see stuff just yeah it, it unfortunately just the situation with the dust then we had a fire, unfortunately, on that Grimes Pass stage. Uh, now, you made it through before the fire happened, right? Yeah, we had made it through. We didn't see anything on that. Uh, so not really sure where or how it got started. But I think uh, you know our teammate Travis Neese was the first one, actually, uh, that stopped for it. 
and you know they got out of the car and I, I think they made a quick assessment like oh there's no way that we're putting this out because it was I mean I guess it had gone like you know tens of meters wide and was starting to climb up the hill and there was just nothing that they could do so they they motored on to the next radio uh point and got that called in and luckily there, it seemed like there was a very quick response to it uh, so hats off to, to all the firefighters and stuff that responded and, and took care of it as as best they could as quick as quick they could but yeah unfortunately it, it red crossed the stage for for a lot of people behind us so i think travis would be the first one that uh then it didn't get a time for that stage but uh and so that you know everybody in the field behind him also had to go with the uh the times i think it was probably burke that set the time for everybody else to take for that stage uh, speaking of which seamus burke coming all the way from the east coast he's not he hasn't done a full national championship come out west for like a decade or something i think he said last time he was out this way was like 2006 or something like that so yeah it sounds about right i think uh i think he's hungry <laughs> <laughs> he uh you know he sees that he's in a in a championship battle for for the two wheel drive class and he's not you know too far off of us in the in the overall too so i think uh I think he he might be hoping that something might happen to us here at Tour de Forest, and then he could capitalize off of that, and he might end up, you know, being on the overall national podium. Uh, that that's a good point. I didn't think about the overall, but definitely at least with an open two wheel drive um, uh, championship, you know, between him and Eric Potts, you know, um, Eric and Claudia have gone to every single event, and again, how the things work out between the East Coast and West Coast, and how you do your drop, uh, there's still opportunity and. He saw that opportunity, and uh, it, it was just great to see that team and that car come all the way out here because uh, it, it's fun to talk about some of the folks that we see out east, but I want to see some of those guys come out west or, and vice versa so they can experience what we experience. And, uh, yeah, good good to see them make it all the way out here. But, you know, talking about the altitude that we did earlier, they were having some issues uh, apparently with that car and being really down on power, and and that's what they were thinking uh, was probably a problem. Yeah, so... it's uh, it's definitely going to be a, a a technical challenge for those cars. You know, at least uh, Eric Potts has a supercharger in that BRZ, so he can at least try to cram as much air in there as he possibly can. It definitely helps. You know, the the NA cars, I I believe, you know, suffer a little bit more than the turbo cars do, uh, just because you know we get the that advantage of trying to just shove as much air as we possibly can, you know, in there, uh, which definitely helps. You know, obviously Grimes Pass, you guys got to make it through um, and be at pace on that one. Uh, then you go up to get up to Spanish Fork. Things are delayed because of the fire. Um, yeah, they did get under control, like you said. So it, it did burn a bit for sure. Um, you know, they everything worked procedure-wise, right? Yep. Travis saw Travis and he saw it. He went to the next radio point, alerted everybody. Fire department goes out puts it out you know just that's that's what we do um we have those procedures in place for a reason so um unfortunately the spectators didn't get to see much more because whatever started it it ended up uh you know stopping that stage but you get up to spanish fork and again that was the one that i got to uh recce a little bit i guess what i was going to ask you is what's it like with those tight corners trying to keep that power up when this, when you've got so many slow corners and you're trying to keep that that turbo spooled. Yeah, it's uh, what I found to to work was just trying to keep that car constantly moving. Um, so with it being so tight and not wanting to you know come completely off a throttle and 
just try to drive through it was just to kind of do a small little pendulum around every single one of those, you know, the ones and twos uh, as best as you could. You know, sometimes the road didn't really lend itself to be able to do that. But yeah, if I, I found that if I just kind of constantly, constantly kept the car sliding um, around, that was a lot easier to get around those, those corners. So you could stay on throttle. Um, but the problem with that when you're driving the car that hard is that it, it takes a beating. Um, right. So what ended up happening to us pretty early on is that when you're you're on throttle so much and, and a low speed situation, which presents a pretty big load to the car, constantly being in that sort of load with that amount of throttle is just it's it's overworking the car. So we started overheating pretty quickly. Uh, you know, with and without anti lag, we turned anti lag off, which is something that you don't particularly want to do on those stages, but uh, you know, you try to preserve the car, and you know, even with that turned off, it still wanted to keep climbing. So, wow. we had to just manage it by how you drove the road, and so I had to to back off the car quite a bit uh, just to make sure that it would survive for the the whole event. And I I knew that we had to finish. We had two not so great results leading up to Idaho, so we wanted to uh, try to do our best to make sure that we got good points and and keep the fight going through for the rest of the championship. Well, one thing I noticed, uh, you know, look at the results after that stage is it, it, once we figured out that there was a five minute gap uh, between the top cars, um, it, it was really great to see kind of a total even playing field of the top guys. Right. Um, so we had obviously David Higgins, Craig drew out there, there at every event, but we had the return of, um, Patrick Sandell and Per Almquist uh, as his co-driver, uh, to compete in the, in their second U S round. They were at Olympus earlier in the year. And they put on a heck of a performance on that stage. I think they beat David by like 15, 20 seconds on that stage, something like that. And David was first on the road. Yeah, I mean, I know uh, Patrick was talking about the dust after Harris Creek and getting that dust window seemed to really, really help them out. And he was able to put down a fantastic drive, not just on Spanish Fork, but really for the remainder of the rally. I think he did a fantastic job, did put down some really incredible times and uh it just kind of it goes to show like how important having you know knowledge of the roads and video to study and stuff can be because you know that i think that's what helps keep david you know at the top of the championship year after year because he just keeps building that knowledge and knowledge and then once we have a a wild card like idaho get thrown into the mix it really does help level things out and you know patrick is a fantastic driver and he comes with a lot of experience overseas and he was able to to lay it down and unfortunately for david patrick doesn't have a fight in the championship so he's also able to kind of push a little bit more and not worry if you know he does end up having a dnf or having an off or something like that so He's got that dynamic to, to struggle with, and I know you know that's been talked about before. Um, but David has to you know have a very mature drive, and at the end of the day, it's about winning that championship, and so that's that's what he did. You know, and that is tough, isn't it? Uh, having to think championship when you just always want to push as hard as you can. Right, right, and I, I know he wants to. You know, I, I think that first day. David did try. I, th- I think that first day was completely even for the most part. Um, maybe with a slight disadvantage to uh, Patrick Sandell on that first stage, right, with Harris Creek and all the dust. But really after that, that uh, five-minute and four-minute window, well, I guess, how, how was the four-minute window for you guys? 
It was it was totally fine. It, I yeah. mean, there were still pockets of dust, but it wasn't really affecting performance or times or anything. Okay, okay, that's good because I mean, obviously, we we don't want to see dust be a huge issue, um, but it is definitely worse than driving at night because it's not like you can you have headlights that can see through it or anything like that. Uh, yeah, that technology uh, isn't quite up yet. Yeah, right. <laughs> that said. Uh, get through that first day. You guys are struggling a little bit with the power on the car. It looks like uh, Seamus and um, and Martin Brady end up uh, doing well in that open two-wheel drive class, uh, so they're kind of leading in that one. Um, Jeff and Karen are doing okay. Jeff, actually, I was actually wondering how he was going to do because he he just slapped brand-new suspension on that car and hadn't even really tested it. Yeah, I think I heard that uh, he got the final part of it uh, at park expose and was like installing it that night or something <laughs> he didn't even show up to the rally with everything you know installed on the car wow that's 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 got to be challenging um wh- one of my favorite things that i uh got to do is um when, when i was at the host hotel there in in boise um and darn it i'm uh brassfield uh one of the regional guys i caught them they're working on their car right there you know this Friday night, they're working on the car, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, what's going on? You know, you guys have a problem? It's like, nope, we just got new suspension, and uh, apparently, in in this case, you know, I don't know what they they were using at that time, maybe Olin's or something like that, but compared to what they had before, they now had like 30 different setting options versus five. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like trying to figure out, what the hell do we do? <laughs> it's funny because Matt had actually messaged me uh, that day asked me, what do I do with all this? <laughs> so <laughs> I gave him awesome. a, a good baseline to start with and, and hopefully he got things figured out from there. Cause I mean, from a suspension standpoint, especially, you know, again, you have some rough spots in there. You have the really tight corners, whatnot. You're really trying to, you know, I guess that's just, this is a rally where you want to have a lot of movement to be able to do with the car, right? Right. Yeah. You, How would you, do... you set up a suspension like that? I mean, it's just generally softening it up so that you can get the car moving around quite a bit. You know, it's it's not so much to to search for grip. A lot of it is just to get the weight transfer that you need for all the slow the the slow speed section. So yeah, just keeping the car not so you know damped that it stays flat and it it doesn't want to you know move around you want it pretty soft so you're just moving the weight around getting that that front end really loaded and get the rear of the car super light so you can just get around the slower speed corners a lot easier you know you harden up as you start getting into the faster stuff but yeah for the most part it's it's a pretty pretty soft setup for for those roads so we go into sunday the final day out there um cooler we get a little bit of a breeze actually they remove some of the dust window i think it was what two minutes for you guys and then three minutes for the top for the rest yes, of the rally yeah, i think that's what it ended up being did it end up being a big dust problem on that next day or were you okay uh i remember there being a little bit of dust but not anything that was really worth bringing up like i think it was it was good enough now they did end up uh was it that grimes pass uh again they they noticed because it was canceled because of the delays from the fire and stuff. They had to cancel a whole loop of stages um, on uh, the Saturday. You got to run Harris Creek again, but then on Sunday, Grimes Pass was in that loop, but the first running of that one, they had to skip it again because they saw another flare-up. Obviously, wood can smolder, and they caught that and uh, had to put it out. You guys got to run it the second second time, which which was nice. 
Yeah. One of the things that I worry about with some of these rallies is the when you start running a stage more than twice, you're reconfiguring it slightly, but now you're running it three, four times. What is that like? I mean, you're running a different direction. I know you're going to have a different perspective a little bit of some of these stages, but how bad does it get after a fourth pass? Because I know they can get pretty beat up after two. Yeah, so, you know, Grimes wasn't too bad since it had uh, all the cancellations and a lot of people just transiting through or not even running through that section anymore. So that that road wasn't too bad. But I think it really just, just comes down to how well, you know, the road can take it. There's some roads out there that you can run, you know, plenty of passes on and doesn't really change it up too much. But Spanish Fork did take quite a beating in a, in a section of it and... I kind of mentioned it earlier, but it was just you're coming downhill and it's it's so beat up that you know you're breaking so early because it's so soft and you're just you're already like getting into lockup when it's so soft like that. So you start getting nervous about well how how late can I carry you know speed into this corner and still be able to actually slow down and make it. And those those are a lot of no consequence corners too. You know you go off on some of those roads and it's it's a long ways down. So you don't want to flirt with disaster very much and but at the same time you know you got to put a fast time down and you you want to you want to do well so it's it's a really difficult battle of mitigating that risk and it's you know a lot of those roads i i don't like driving on them when they're that beat up i know that's part of the challenge and stuff but at the same time like you want to be able to to enjoy what you're doing and and, and get after it there's challenge and then there's oh my gosh just trying to keep from dying <laughs> Right, right. right. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you definitely there's got to be a fine line in there, and uh, I, I think that the frustration for me, and, and again, this is just coming from the fan standpoint and and spectators uh, as well, is when you're running a stage, just reversing it and changing it up a little bit. If there is a cancellation for a situation like we had, it's not canceled just once; it's canceled twice; it's canceled three times. Right, and that's pretty frustrating when that's a spectator stage. Yep. And, uh, I, yeah, I'm, you know, I think, uh, this rally specifically, the organizers, um, it, it was a lot bigger than I think they probably thought it was going to be. Sure. I think they probably thought it was going to be like the regional plus a couple of big guys that show up and that's it. And I think there was a lot more to it than that. And, uh, you know, I granted it, it wasn't a horribly run rally by any means. They, but there's stuff to work on. Um, you know, obviously coming from, uh, an event being an organizer for an event that's been a national championship for a long time i've got to learn some of the processes and procedures and things you have to do to, to make sure a national championship can can go and uh and yeah i think they just need to kind of learn a few things but other than that um i i welcome the challenge that they've brought although i did hear that the stage that was used for their press stage uh, or, or the shakedown that has got to be one of the most fun stages also um, and, and a lot of people were like, why aren't we running this? Right. And yeah, and I, I think in the original schedule, that road was part of the rally and then, you know, in the weeks leading up to it, it finally got taken away off of the schedule. So I'm, I don't know what happened there. I heard good things about that road too. And hearing from the guys that were able to do the, the press stage, it sounded like it was a lot of fun. In the end, we ended up with a great victory by, um, Patrick Sandell and Per Almquist, uh, again, they put on a clinic, I think, and, and David just backed off and uh, with the championship in mind. But uh, you, your chief competitor of uh, Jeff Seahorn and Karen Jankowski, they ended up on the overall podium again. Well, for sure. I mean, Jeff has put an incredible drive all year and last year, really, too. So 
the consistency that he's been able to to put out is is fantastic. Like it's definitely something that you know we're we want to emulate as well. And you know we don't quite have our formula figured out uh, to to be able to be 100% at his level. And you know it, it's it's going to take time for us to get things figured out and and be able to be at that pace. I I know that we can do it. It's just a matter of time and when that's going to be able to come to fruition. Um, but yeah, it's. I think Jeff and Karen do a fantastic job, especially you know for really doing everything out of out of Jeff's shop. You know, it's 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 awesome to see that he's able to perform at this level, and and you know the car is doing great this year. You know, he had a lot of technical problems last year that he's able to. Uh, it seems like he's he's got mostly figured out. So uh, that's leading to him to constantly you know get these results that he's getting, and it's and it's great. So. Yeah, it's it's definitely a benchmark for us, and you know our goal still is to 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 start matching those times and hopefully exceed them at some point. And you know I don't know when that's going to be. Well, uh, obviously you guys always put in a, put on a good show. You're always out there, uh, you know, getting closer and closer every time. Uh, the one thing that I think frustrates me for you guys a little bit is the whole thing about you know how dust windows are, are figured out. I because it's based on history, right? they get a little bit of an advantage of having uh, at least some of these other events. You know, obviously they had the big dust window um, at, at this one, so it wasn't so bad. But but at other events where it's like one-minute gaps to everybody behind and then they get a two-minute gap, they're right behind the top guys. And you are maybe a couple of, uh, a couple cars back where you're just stuck with a one-minute dust window, which is a big factor. That's twice as much in that case, not a third as much, not a fourth as much, right? Yeah, that that can definitely be frustrating at times, and you know, I think at the end of the day, like we we want it to be a fair competition. Um, so yeah, it can be frustrating, but it's it's just how it is. You know, but there's not much that we can do about it. There's no sense in us really, you know, dwelling on it. We'll just do the best with what we got, and we'll continue to try to push the best that we can and and get the best result that we can. Well, we love seeing this competition in the, in the limited four-wheel drive. It's it's definitely the class to watch, um, in my opinion. You know, there's more and more people look like uh, building cars and, and, and wanting to move up into that class and uh, compete with all of you, and it, it just makes it that much better. And, and we just want to see more and more of it, of course. Um, it, it is the privateer's class, for sure. Um, still ended up second in class um, at this event, so, you know, a very good performance. But a lot of people just at the very end, the last couple of stages, had some issues. Yeah, I think it was downhill with for the vast majority of people, us included. You know, with Travis uh, losing that, that ball joint and popping his axle out and leaving him stranded on the side of the road. We had, you know, Dickinson, who would have beat us, I think, if he would have, you know, kept it all together after we started losing our pace. Uh, you know, he was putting some good times down. Unfortunately, he rolled. Yeah, there was, there was a few things that were happening in, within our class. And then, you know, luckily, after we had our problem come up, we were able to limp the car to the end of the rally. But, yeah, it was a, there was a lot of things going on at the last couple stages, for sure. I, I think it's just one of those things that, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but where you just got to, you know, yeah, you're coming to the end. Just keep your head on straight and stay focused. Don't think too far ahead. Think of that next stage, right? Well, yes and no. Like I, I can understand how some people can see the the opportunity, you know, with us having the uh, 
you know, moving into two-wheel drive mode for the last three stages, that, that kind of opened up that opportunity to be like, oh, well, if we push a little bit more, we can make up the time because they're obviously losing it on every stage now. So if we push a little bit more, there's an opportunity we're going to pass them up and, and get, you know, one higher step on the podium. So it's a, it's a tough thing to, to manage. And, you know, I give it to them for trying. But unfortunately, if you try too hard, it doesn't quite work out. So what so what exactly happened to you guys on that on, on that last loop cuz uh, it was a differential? So what ended up happening uh we we just took everything apart and uh not sure what came first but the axle definitely popped out at some point uh but the differential broke inside of the uh the transmission where it sits in the bearings that holds it together so it essentially was just flopping around in the transmission and it it oof completely grinded the the pinion gear down to nothing so the front front wheels weren't getting any power whatsoever and we were just we cranked up the the center diff to get as much as we can you know to the rear of the car and yeah we were just in a rear wheel drive for the the last three stages which was was very difficult well i guess you know how uh andreas mickelson felt out there in uh, turkey then okay yep, exactly <laughs> very, very similar situation um yeah, definitely a challenging rally for everybody. Um, uh, back to talking about the UTVs, though. Man, overall, fourth and fifth place were both UTVs overall. That's that's something. Those uh, those machines can take quite a beating for what essentially is a motorcycle on steroids. Yep, yep. It's they're they're pretty impressive vehicles, and you know, everybody you know had had already mentioned that the the stages there lend itself to those to the UTVs, but um. At the end of the day, they're still very well made, and they're light, and their power-to-weight ratio is is pretty impressive. So, you know, I'm I'm honestly not surprised that they're doing that well. You know, you you get a light vehicle like that with good power and good traction with tons of suspension. Small travel, wheelbase. Yeah, that thing's gonna be able to go around stages like that, no problem. So yeah, yeah, it's uh, those guys did a fantastic job. You know, getting through stages like that. You know, definitely something new to them and. Or at least to some of them, and fantastic job to them. Great result. It's pretty impressive. Uh, I actually had an interesting conversation with uh, Dave Higgins, and uh, Dave was saying that um, he's okay with them being there as far as part of the championship, but one of his concerns is them being part of the overall championship. Uh, in other words, do something like make them skip the first stage or something so that it looks like the cars, from a comparative standpoint, are the top class right on the flip side of that i talked to john hall uh co-driver to brendan seminuk and he's like no these things are equal i mean just they're they're part of if they can drive that fast in that vehicle and um on the same stages and do the same stuff that we're doing and do the same transits i don't care if they're on the overall podium thoughts you know it's an interesting argument um I think the the number one thing that you probably want to look at is, you know, what what is rally? And, you know, when you think rally cars, that's a production-based vehicle that's supposed to be meant for the road that you modify to be able to do stages, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I see, you know, wanting to have the spotlight on on the cars for sure. And, and I do think that is important because that's, that's what the root of rally racing is, to have, you know, 
another sort of vehicle come be part of the race, I do think it should be separate. Uh, just because it, it isn't a rally car. It's a UTV, right? So um, should it compete in the same rally national championship? Probably not. Uh, but I don't have a problem with them showing up to these stages and racing their own race and, and you know being part of the mix, too. So uh, I think... I'm, I'm going to kind of side on, on David's opinion on, on wanting to have it be somewhat separate, but I'm totally cool with having them show up. Yeah, I mean, I guess the way the laws are currently, there's no way they could do every event anyway from a championship standpoint. But right. from an overall podium standpoint, they could still potentially be there for an event yeah. like this on an event basis. Yeah, and I think you're going to see, you know, now this is the first event that the, the UTV showed up at, at a national championship event, and then we got tour coming up. It'll be very interesting to see what happens at Tour when you have roads that are going to be a little bit more open. It's going to be a little bit quicker. And, and my guess is that the UTVs aren't going to be able to keep up like they were at, at Idaho. Good point, good point. So before we uh, start talking about Tour de Force, I did want to mention um, real quick that we did have champions crowned um, after uh, the Idaho rally. Um, of course, David Higgins and Craig Drew are our overall national champions not really a big surprise there with nobody else uh, in the other factories who were doing the whole season. But, uh, you know, it was nice to see Barry McKenna and Leon Jordan try and put up a good fight uh, through part of the season there. Uh, some of it was bad luck uh, on their part, but um, want to see them back for sure. That also secures them the Open Four-Wheel Drive Championship. Limited Four-Wheel Drive, of course, goes to Jeff Seahorn and Karen Jankowski and the Seahorn Rally Team. Um, and then in the naturally aspirated four-wheel drive, our friends at Primitive Racing, uh, Blake and Tricia Lynn, the husband-wife team, they because they made it out to an East Coast event, as well as uh, competed in, uh, so far, all of the West Coast events, they were able to secure the NA4 championship. And then in limited two-wheel drive, <laughs> Jordan Guitar in that little Maxxis uh, uh, HPD Honda Civic, that guy, he just... Talk about consistency. Yep. Um, consistency is king. I mean, your teammate Travis Neese, other than the past two events, I, I can't remember with the last time he had a DNF. Right. Yep. King you of know. consistency for sure. And it just shows how important that is. And uh, those guys, even though they still, I think last I remember, they still had the CD player and air conditioning in their car. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but the funny thing is, is that car, they still are fast. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people, I think, think that you can't be fast in a, in a car that is like a limited two-wheel drive that just, you know, isn't fully, uh, you know, all super rally prep like an R2 Fiesta or something like that. Right. And yet they com they're up there all the time on a regular basis, A, for consistency, but consistency with speed. And uh, it's, it's really cool to see those guys do so well. So... Um, congratulations on that, all those guys uh, that have got the championship so far, but we still have an open two-wheel drive championship heading into Tour de Forest. Now, do you know any of these roads that have been used uh, for Tour de Forest? Because I don't know any of them. Uh, I know one of them. Uh, Schaefer is, uh, was in the Doo-Wop Regional Rally for the last couple of years. Ah, yes, I've heard of that stage. Okay. So that's, uh, that's actually a really nice, fun stage. Um, glad to see that to be part of of Tour de Forest, but as far as everything else, the only thing I know about them is what I've seen on the recce videos that they posted. So uh, that's that's about it. Yeah, I haven't seen them. So with the championship wrapped up, um, you know, similar situation to David Higgins in this case. Uh, Patrick Sandell's going to be back again. Um, 
you, you have nothing to kind of lose, obviously, the car. <laughs> but, you know, with, with it not having to think about the championship anymore, does that change then how you're going to go into this uh, final round? Or, I mean, is it all out and show that you, you can win? Um, well, no, because we, we do have the threat of, of Seamus, who's... Oh, got... that's right. So, so for the overall, right, right. Yeah, so for the for the overall, yeah, class, class, we, you know, obviously we don't have anything to worry about there. Um, I, you know, it still sounds like Travis Neese isn't going to be showing up, so that, that pretty much, if he's not going to show, then, then we'll, we'll get our second in class. Uh, but, you know, as the points currently sit, we are at 49 points for the overall with Seamus at 42. So <laughs> that's close. <laughs> so seven points separate us. Um, and, it, you know, it obviously we, we do have the pace to, to beat them. Um, but that doesn't mean something can go wrong. You know, it, it just takes another puncture or, or you know, a part failure to, to change that up. And our goal is definitely to just drive very, very intelligently to wrap up the season and get third overall in the overall championship. Smart man. I, I can't argue with that. Yeah, as much as I'd love to just go out there and send it, and I wish we were in position to do it, um, that's just not the case. So we gotta we got to do what we need to do and, and be smart. So, uh, obviously, you know the Northwest roads really well. Most of these roads, other than the, the Duop Regional, um, are, are going to be completely new. we got a clean slate for uh, David and uh, Patrick again. Who's yep. your odds on? Oh, man. That's a, <laughs> that's a tough one of being. You know, I... I think that David is in his his he's he's just found the right pace and that's where he's going to kind of sit and it's going to be hard for him to break out from with him being new again. I I kind of see it as being a repeat of Idaho. I think if uh if everything goes well, you know, Patrick did great after uh after David's unfortunate DNF at at Olympus. So Patrick already kind of knows the roads and he still has nothing to lose. I mean, they both have nothing to lose, but I think you know, Patrick just is going to be able to pull it off again. You know, I was chatting with John Buffum a little bit. Uh, if you watch some of the Facebook live streams we did with ARA, we, we stopped and talked to him a little bit about what was going on between at Idaho with uh, between Patrick and uh, David Higgins. And, you know, he, he was pretty honest. Uh, he said, you know what? I thought it was a fair fight. And the faster one today was definitely Patrick Sandell. You know, he he just flat out said it. Of course, then he came back and corrected himself and said, well, you know, n- nothing against David. You know, David obviously had to deal with a lot of dust on, it was Sunday when we were talking to him, you know, and dealing with a lot of dust today, so there's no way he could really come back. But uh, the rally was pretty much, you know, won on Saturday there in Idaho. And uh, I, I just was, thought it was funny to get uh, that kind of honesty uh, out, out of Buffum. Uh, Buffum's a great guy. Um, it, it's taken a little while, I think, for both me to get comfortable talking to him and him comfortable in talking to me. And, and once you get comfortable around that guy, man, that guy's got so many stories. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. <laughs> Some that are not repeatable. Yeah, that is also true. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Tour de Forest is our next event. It's in, gosh, what, just a week and a half? Yep. Wow. Uh, well, I'm excited. New roads, areas I have not been um, obviously, it's still in the Pacific Northwest in the same general vicinity as uh, the Olympus Rally. So uh, I, I guess from doing the doo-wop thing that you've done before, uh, it, are, are the roads out there uh, similar as far as the the kind of the rocky um, gravel that is out there? Um, or is it a little bit different? 
Um, so I've looked at some of their recce videos that they posted. Uh, it's really unique in that the organizers will go through with the GoPro and, and video all the stages beforehand. So everybody has an opportunity to, to do some video recce beforehand. Uh, but it's it's a little bit different than Olympus. Uh, it still has that element of, you know, very rocky, very abrasive. You know, people will be going through a lot of tires. But uh, it looks like some of his stuff kind of goes deep into some forest where it looks like the roads are still kind of wet in some spots. Um, and we haven't had a whole lot of rain. I mean, we've had some, but it, it definitely looks like that there's going to be some sections where traction isn't going to be quite like what it was at Olympus. So it kind of goes into some trees. It gets really dark. And it looks like moisture just sticks around for a while, and the road's pretty narrow. There's a little bit of foliage on it. It looked like they were clearing, you know, roads, like, with, you know, machetes and stuff. Yeah, I thought I saw that, too. I'm like, wait, this looks like a road that hasn't been driven on in five years? <laughs> yeah, so I'm curious to see what that's going to be like. Um, I, I remember seeing some stages like that at uh, an older Olympus where it just kind of it gets really narrow, and... There's not much of a, a shoulder on on either side of the road that's been cleared out, so it's just a lot of like a lot of just double track going through. Yeah. So uh, it looks like it'll be a little bit narrower and maybe a little bit more challenging. I won't say technical, but challenging uh, in some spots. So curious to see what it'll be like. It should be fun. Well, I'm definitely excited to see it. Uh, of course, I will be up there with uh, Matt Kalish trying to get whatever uh, video streams we can um, for this event. Um, like I said, uh, closer to me, which is great. So I can uh, just drive up there. So that'll be nice for me as well. Speaking of the Olympus area, for uh, those of you that have not watched yet or, or, or have not tuned into it, there's that Shifting Gear show on the Discovery Channel. Um, did you watch that first episode? Uh, I have not yet. I don't have access to Discovery. Oh, you're one of those cable cutters. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, there's a lot of people that do that. Um, I, I'm, I think they... Sp- Still do some sort of streaming or something through something. I, I, I don't know how you get it. But anyways, uh, for those that haven't watched it, that's the one with uh, Aaron Kaufman where they did that uh, normally aspirated four-wheel drive build and uh, of a GC Subaru. And um, the first episode that we saw, we had a group of us all get together at uh, Beer Mongers here in Portland because uh, Krista Skukas, who was the co-driver to Aaron Kaufman, um, she hosted that. It was kind of cool to watch with a group of rally friends and, and watch that first episode not a lot of rally stuff so much as the build stuff going on with the car. Um, other than, you know, he did uh, some rally ready, that Texas school that teaches kind of similar to kind of dirt fish. They got kind of a skid pad kind of thing, right? Right. Um, not so much gravel. It is, is uh, like a clay dirt that they're kind of dri- driving on, but uh, you know, a similar concept where they're, you know, the weight transfer and, uh, doing the slaloms and things like that and, and, and teaching the basics. So that, that was kind of interesting. I'm really looking forward to the next two episodes, though. So uh, for those of you watching that listen to this, make sure you set your DVRs if you do have Discovery Channel or, or find some other way to watch it because the next two episodes should be the most interesting. So it's on Monday nights, 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern as well as Pacific. They're going to show Oregon Trail Rally, which is the first one that uh, Aaron Kaufman uh, comes and visits the rally and kind of learns more about how rallies are run. And then, of course, they compete at Olympus in the final episode. So the first three episodes of that show, of uh, the season opener of that series, is all about rally. And honestly, for those people that are gearheads that don't know anything about rally, I'm so excited to have yet uh, you know, another place that we can put this sport in front of people. That's pretty cool that 
he was able to you know do this tell a story about you know being involved in rally and it i what i kind of like about this perspective is that it's coming as you know even though aaron's a very well-known guy he's he's doing it from the perspective of a complete beginner in the sport so showing how he gets a car gets it built trains for it goes you know spectates and and checks out his first event and then goes and competes is you know that's that's the story I think of a lot of us that first got started in rally. You know, we were like, all right, I want to get a car. I want to check this out, see how it goes. And then let's just go do it. Yeah. He, he just does it all within a month for the most of us. The time's going to be over a year probably, but yeah. you know, other than that though, you're totally right. And it's also coming from the, you know, home builder grassroots guy too. Right. Yep. So granted, you know, he's got a crew that can do all kinds of amazing stuff to cars, but you know, in, in a general sense, um, it, it is just a, you know, they're building it themselves. It's not, uh, they're, they're just renting a car. You know, it's not a, uh, Fiesta R2 that's already pre-built to a certain spec or anything like that. It is something they're doing all on their own. So, uh, that was kind of cool. If you like, uh, seeing some neat welds and how that process works of, uh, that, that first episode, they're going through how the cage certification and how they had to do a test weld and send that over to the UK because they bought a pre-built cage. Um, that was an FIA certified cage. So they had to do like a, a weld, send it off over to the UK, and then they had to sign off that that weld was good enough to meet their standards. And then only that guy that did the weld could do the rest of the cage. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> so he spent a lot of time welding. But, you know, that, the thing is, the safety is number one, right? And I totally agree with that whole process because... You want the guy that knows how to do it right and is certified to do it right to be the guy that's making the safety part, right? Yep. There's no no compromise there. Exactly. Exactly. So anyways, shifting gears, Discovery Channel, tune into it. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention real quick is just announced today, um, for those of you sim people out there, which I like to play a little bit when I have time, but obviously that time is short, but we're getting into the end of the season here. So in the winter time, that's when you can play with simulators and things. Uh, Dirt Rally 2 is coming out, and I don't know if you saw that. Do you, do you play with simula- simulators all? Yeah, we have a, a whole simulator lounge at, at Dirtfish, um, which I think are currently loaded with Dirt 4. Uh, we had the original Dirt on there for a while, and I th- I'm hoping that now with this uh, new Dirt 2.0 coming out that we'll, uh, we'll be putting that on all the, the rigs here. I think it comes out in, what, February? Yes, uh, they they're announced that it will come out in February 2019. Um, what's interesting about this one, so uh, for those of you that have played the Dirt Number series, Dirt, one, uh, Dirt 2, Dirt 3, Dirt 4, um, those are a little more arcade style in that they've got kind of mixed. It's got Rally in there, but they've got, what, like the, the stadium truck kind of thing, you know, the, or short course um, uh, trucks, and they've got uh, some other stuff mixed in. The Dirt Rally specific series, uh, which is now a series, it was an original, just kind of a its own thing, is definitely more simulator based. You need to have a wheel pretty much to drive these things, which you guys got, of course, I think you guys uh, are all set up there with PlaySeat. Is that right? Yeah, we have play seats, and I can't remember what pedals that we have. Uh, totally escapes me. But yeah, it's it's actually a pretty nice setup in there. Um, I, I need to get a new wheel, but I've got like a Fanatex up setup, but it's old, and uh, some of the new games don't recognize it. So I'm not expecting this one, too, so I'm going to have to get something new. But what, right. what I was really excited about this one, they said that you're going to have tire choices hmm. and surface degradation. Interesting. Yes, so uh, also interesting in this one is, and I think some of this has to do with uh, licensing deals because of WRC, versus the original Dirt Rally, they now have um, uh, USA, Poland, New Zealand, Argentina. Um, Anyways, 
Dirt Rally 2.0. It's in pre-sale right now on Steam, on Sony, Xbox, all that stuff. And I'm really excited to see what they come up with. Yeah, I'll definitely be picking it up when it comes time. Along with the new wheel, too. I have my old Logitech G27. It doesn't even work on half the stuff, either. Yep, so you're, you're in the same boat I am. Yep, exactly. It's like, ah, gotta get the new stuff, all the Windows 10 compatible stuff, and things like that. But okay. I want to ask you real quick. When it comes to sim stuff and just kind of playing around, what what do you get out of it? Do you, do you do it for any uh, practice, just like hand-eye coordination stuff or anything like that? Does it does it help you at all? I think the, the, the only thing that I really like to use it for, and actually... I do. I don't play a lot, but I, I play some. Um, is processing the notes and processing speed. So when I get in, I like to make sure that I'm in something that's that's pretty fast, so that I can read and interpret the road and take the notes in at a faster pace than I do in real life. So if I play it enough, uh, leading up to event, when I get to the actual rally, I almost prefer that the rally seems slow to me mentally. Oh yeah, so that makes it, perfect it, sense. It's easier to process, and there's there's other you know schools of thought of like doing it in real life too, like getting a having like a fast track car and then going to a track where your top speeds are you know 140 to 160 or something, um, and then you get to you know stage speeds where you're in the you know 60s to 90s for the most part. So yeah, it's just it's kind of it's not for you know training of car handling or anything like that it's just more to process things at speed you know a little bit better and uh, i was actually uh having some messaging back and forth with uh you know some of my rally friends online and uh i didn't realize this but the original dirt rally and uh, and hopefully in this one as well you can actually turn off the co-driver completely and they do it for themselves to uh train on working with a co-driver so what they'll do is they'll run the stage um with they put the tape on their wheel, and right. they'll actually create their own notes, and then yep. they'll rerun it with their co-driver friend. With the so you can still have the exterior sounds on, but they can you can mute basically what was the co-driver in the game, and they run it like you would a real rally. Yeah, yeah, I've I've heard of some people doing that. We Michelle and I have talked about doing that before, but we just we never actually done it. Yeah, I mean, for those f- folks that uh, want to practice notes, I think that's just a really good idea, especially if we get more and more of these rallies that are, uh, you know, open recce or uh, two-pass recce and, you know, not doing the Jemba thing so much. Uh, it's definitely really good practice of some sort, at least uh, getting the processes and procedures down, right? I mean, that's about as close as you can get to, you know, doing it to, for real. That's cool. Well, uh, anyway, super excited for that. Um, good luck at Tour de Forest. Uh, looking forward to seeing you on that overall podium, you and Michelle. I know you guys have worked really, really hard this year. The car being very new to you, having issues right from the beginning with Oregon Trail, having to get used to the uh, smaller displacement motor with higher RPMs needed. It's a big learning process. Uh, bigger car than what you were driving before and all that stuff. And, you know, here you guys, you're still in it. Um, Obviously, not in the class championship, but you could still end up on that overall podium, which would be a huge win for you guys. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, hope, hoping you do well. Thanks, Mike. I really do appreciate it. Again, thanks for coming on the show and, and talking about all things rally. Uh, I shall not keep you up any later tonight. Any last words before I let you go, man? Uh, not much. I just hope everybody uh, can make it out to Tour de Forest that can. And if not, you know, pay attention to, uh, to Mike and Matt, you know online and doing the live streaming they've been doing a great job with that so make sure to pay attention to the rally it's uh, 
definitely coming down to the wire for us. And I think there's a couple other big battles that will be happening out there. So hopefully we can keep the excitement going through the final round. Sounds really good. Really good. All right. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the Open Paddock Rallycast. Uh, please make sure you give us a good rating on iTunes, whatever podcast app you use to listen to us. Follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. And actually, speaking of which, uh, photographs from the Idaho Rally. Uh, Tedrick Mealy, good friend of the show, done photographs for us for Open Paddock. Um, he was actually the event photographer for ARA at Idaho. Some of those pics are just fabulous and amazing. So make sure that you, uh, there's a link to it on our Facebook page. Uh, check out Tedrick Mealy's photographs. Um, he's also available on Facebook. Uh, just, just an awesome, gorgeous rally for sure. And uh, he'll also be taking pictures out there at uh, Tour de Forest. So anyways, uh, thanks everybody for listening. I'm your host, Mike Shaw for Sam Albert with the Dirtfish Rally team. We'll talk to you all later.